Welcome to the African Campfire Stories podcast. This podcast is dedicated to covering African history stories and events. To create this podcast, we have to read through a lot of facts and details. Should you pick up anything we get wrong, or should something we say offend you, or if you just want to reach us, please use our social media pages and our website. Search for African Campfire Stories on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our website is www.africancampfirestories.com. Podcast episodes and articles on African history are available on our website. This podcast is now available on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Player.fm and SoundCloud. Just go to any of these platforms and search for African Campfire Stories Podcast. When creating our podcast episodes, we use works from historians and other writers as our sources. Much thanks to these men and women. Please note that today's episode is the first of a few episodes we are doing as a mini-series specifically for the month of December. We are going to call these few episodes Christmas and Hanukkah Special. Our end goal with this December mini-series is to arrive at a point where we discuss how Christianity first arrived in Africa and how it managed to spread across Africa. Please do stick around for an explanation of why we are doing this particular mini-series now. The explanation will also hopefully assuage any questions you might have about when we will cover the other religions that are practiced in Africa, including the other large religion in Africa, Islam. After December is over, we are going back to our normal programming with the two series we are currently running, that is the Cold War Pawns series and the Xenophobia and Hatred series, and also our normal special episodes. The episodes for this December mini-series and our normal series are available on our website. Without much further ado, here is today's episode. This is Christmas and Hanukkah Special Episode 1 Introduction. Before we go into today's episode, we have to say a few things. First of all, this December holiday mini-series we are embarking on with today's episode is really the first time in the four months of the existence of this podcast that we feel like we are going into an extremely sensitive area. That area is religion. History is a very sensitive topic. Because of that, we stated on the very first episode of the African Campfire Stories podcast that we will seek to be fair, unbiased and objective. Since that first episode, we have again and again restated those very important values of this podcast. We have created and released over 18 episodes so far, and we have written many articles on our website and on our social media pages. We would like to believe that all the content we've created so far is balanced and not biased. And in this manner, we aim to continue running this podcast. History is sensitive enough, but we don't know of any other human activity or endeavor in modern times that is more sensitive than religion. So what we're about to do, mixing history and religion, is something we've been dreading for a while now. We're saying that we've been dreading this moment for a while because from the time we first conceived the idea of doing an African history podcast in 2018 was always to cover the history of Africa in its entirety. And covering African history in its entirety means that at some stage we have to cover the history of the major religions in Africa. And those religions are Christianity and Islam. We will cover the smaller native religions as well in the future, by the way. As for the two major religions, neither was created in Africa per se. So, we knew that when the time came to cover them, we would have to deal with historical questions such as how these religions came about, how they spread, 
and how they arrived in Africa and how they got to be so entrenched in the continent. The time to cover Christianity and Islam was bound to come for us and it seems to have come earlier than expected. We always knew, however, that when it came to doing the history of Christianity and Islam, we would have to do one of them first. I mean, this means that we would have to answer for why we chose to do whichever one we decided to do first. So why are we doing Christianity first? December is the time when all across the world the Christmas holiday is being celebrated. We are aware that the Christmas holiday is in the modern world essentially a Christian holiday and that there are a lot of people who are not Christians. So for the people who might feel offended that we would take time off from our normal programming to do Christianity-related history, we understand. But know this for sure, we shall do Islam when one of their big holidays comes around. We should be clear about one thing. Even though Christmas is only on one day in December, the entire month is treated like it's Christmas. Our Muslim, Hindu, Jewish friends and others always complain about how this whole month makes them feel left out. The only time when Islam gets an entire month as well is during Ramadan. So, if we are doing a couple of Christian history-related episodes for a few weeks in December, the only fair thing to do is to give Islam a few weeks as well. And we will do so during Ramadan. For 2019, Ramadan took place between 5 May and 3 June. Eid al-Fitr, which is the day after Ramadan ends, took place between 3 June and 4 June. We only launched the African Campfire Stories podcast in August of 2019. Another thing, Islam was created from some Christian and Judaism principles. In fact, in this story about Christianity, we cannot help but also look at Judaism as well. Because in case you do not know yet, you do not get Christianity and Islam without Judaism. The idea of one God, meaning the idea of monotheism, Christianity and Islam, got that from Judaism. You might have also heard of Abraham. Well, he is regarded as the founder of Judaism, Christianity and Islam. In fact, all these three religions are called Abrahamic religions. But Abraham wasn't around when Christianity and Islam were founded. So how could he have founded them? He founded them because he is considered to be the founder of their source. And that source is Judaism. So, for the story of the two major religions in Africa to make sense, you have to start with Judaism, then do Christianity, and then do Islam. You can't do it the other way around. For instance, take this illustration. Jesus Christ, whom the Christian religion is named after, is the main factor in Christianity. He is also an acknowledged and much respected prophet in Islam. But in Judaism, he isn't a factor. The Prophet Muhammad is not acknowledged in both Judaism and Christianity. But Judaism's big guns are respected in the two, Christianity and Islam as well. Judaism figures such as Jacob, David and Solomon, those guys are respected in all the three religions. Let's put it differently and possibly more simply. The first testament of the Bible is a Judaism creation, but both Christianity and Islam respect and acknowledge it. However, Judaism doesn't acknowledge neither the Christian Second Testament of the Bible nor does it acknowledge the Quran of Islam. So, we hope that this long and thorough explanation suffices to explain why we are doing Judaism and Christianity first. 
If you still have questions and queries, please drop us comments on the posts of this and other Christian history episodes on our website and our social media accounts. We are first and foremost an African history podcast. We are not a Christian podcast, nor are we an Islamic podcast. The fact that these two religions are even being discussed at all by us on this particular podcast is because of our objective of covering African history in its entirety. Because we are an African history podcast, the other thing that drew us to the foundational story of Judaism is how much Egypt figures into that story. Egypt, as you know, is in Africa. So, the link between Egypt and the area where Judaism was founded and the people who founded Judaism, meaning the ancient Jewish people, makes us feel that the story of the foundation of Judaism is partially also the story of Egypt's influence on Judaism. We will go into detail about Egypt's involvement in the upcoming episodes of this mini-series. For now, we'll just state that there are many stories people know about Egypt and her role in impacting the early Jewish people, for instance. Moses, the person to whom the Pentateuch, i.e. the first five books of the Old Testament, is ascribed to, was raised as an Egyptian prince. Then you have things like the story of the Jews leaving Egypt for Canaan. It is from that story that you get things such as Passover, the strengthening of the covenant between Jews and God, the Ten Commandments, and so forth and so on. Without Egypt, it's difficult to ascertain what Moses' role in Judaism and then subsequently in both Christianity and Islam would look like. If Moses is not regarded as the person who freed the Jews from Egypt, would he still have the same stature in all the three Abrahamic religions? Does Canaan, the land the Jews regarded as their promised land, still hold the same significance if the Jews were not freed from Egyptian slavery in order to get there? There are other stories on Egypt we will get into later on in this mini-series, so stay tuned for that. However, which religion would be covered first is only just one of the concerns that we had about covering religion. The other concern is that the topic itself is a super sensitive topic. We are not here to insult, denigrate and undermine. We exist for the love of history. We will therefore stick to historical facts. We will also provide reading lists or a reference list on our website. That list will contain our main source material for the entire Christianity miniseries. You can use that list in case you want to do further reading on your own. As history buffs, we are well aware that there are authors out there who dedicate their lives to throwing dirt on certain religions. Authors that exist for almost all historical topics, by the way. For many people, history, for the most part, always seems to be a story of someone or some people against someone else or some other group of people. Because of that, there are few things you can say about any story from history that does not have the potential of angering at least one group of people. A podcast, especially this mini-series that we are about to do, cannot be so thorough as to cover everything about a given topic. There is also just not enough space and time available for making sure that every fact lands well with everyone listening. In fact, it is impossible to ensure that every fact does not anger someone out there. Therefore, should you be offended by the facts we'll be presenting, please let us know. Just know, however, that offending people is not our intention. As lovers of history, we would like to live in a world where everyone would be happy with historical facts. 
so long as they are not presented with the intention of hurting or disadvantaging anyone. But real life does not work that way. If you're not happy about this long-winded, drawn-out introduction and would like us to get to the story already, believe me, we would like to get the story going too. And we will do so shortly. But please be aware of this, however. The history stories, events and facts we will cover in this mini-series are some of the most contentious in human history. Millions of people over the course of human history have died over the facts we will be discussing. Wars have been fought over these facts or because of these facts. Arguments and conflicts still rage even today over the stories we will be sharing with you. People have manipulated and twisted these facts in order to support political agendas or to support their claims of land ownership or to show that they deserve certain things more than other people and so on and so forth. The geographical area we'll be covering in this story, that is the land on which the stories of the Torah, the Tanakh and the Bible are rooted in, is still being fought over even today. The characters from this story are highly contested and divisive even today. We thus have to treat this story with care. So if it means that we have to do a long introduction to try and explain our intentions, to try and explain that we are not intending to hurt or offend anyone on purpose, we feel it's the least we could do considering the weight of the story. So as you listen to the story, please remember that we are not judging. We are not blaming and we are not attacking. If while listening to this mini-series, you get to parts that make you feel uncomfortable, feel offended, remember this extensive and long-winded introduction we've just done. The story of the foundation of Christianity is probably one of the most chaotic stories we have ever come across. This is because the region from which Christianity came was a chaotic one. It is still chaotic today, by the way. The period during which Christianity was being created was just a crazy time, to put it mildly. And if you think that we are trying to be funny, stick around. What makes the creation of Christianity seem so chaotic is probably because the creation of its predecessor, Judaism, is even more chaotic. You would think that events happening in such a confined and small area would be self-contained, logical, and maybe even more organized. Because the events were occurring to and among people who long before the era we will cover had invented writing, you would think that that would mean we would have clear and straightforward records of what went on. But that is not the case. This extremely small area where Judaism and then later on Christianity was created might as well have been an entire continent because the scope of the events, the nations, the peoples involved is so huge. As for the historical records, many of the events, even the ones that made the history books, are just shrouded in a mystical cloud. The issue of the historical records is even more confusing when we tell you that there are many writings about the events. But because of the type of some of the books involved, which are in their nature and purpose books meant for spiritual purposes, you are bound to be unclear about what was going on sometimes. For instance, even though many historians agree that the events in the book of Isaiah actually happened, the things that that book says are still being debated even to this day. Because some of those things are not clear, 
You have had centuries of a situation where Isaiah's prophecy to King Ahaz, for example, the prophecy about the birth of a son named Emmanuel, has been interpreted by Christians and Judaism to mean two different things. For Judaism, the prophecy was about the saving of the Jews from the Assyrian Empire, which at that very time was threatening to destroy the country of Judah. For Christians, this prophecy was about the coming of Jesus Christ many centuries later. Yet, because of the nature of the books at hand, which basically are holy books, you can arrive at those two different conclusions based on two different interpretations or enlightenment or revelation. Let us give you an example. Books on Frederick the Great or Shaka Zulu or Alexandra the Great are not considered holy. So, during a tough time, if someone in those kind of books says, for instance, I hope for the king to have a son that can lead us to win against our enemies, what are the chances that historians will spend centuries debating about what was being meant by that statement? See what I mean? This isn't to denigrate holy books at all. These books are for devotional and spiritual purposes. But to try and understand some events using only holy books is quite difficult. Can the field of history on its own be used to establish the meaning of things such as religious prophecies? No, we think not. So, we personally think that the fights between theologians and historians over some of the meanings in holy books are not warranted if some fact appears only in the Bible and there is no other piece of writing where that fact appears, well, you do know what historians do in such situations. Just state that there is only one source and therefore you do not know for sure and move on. This is not something not only reserved for facts from the Bible. If something only appears in one written source, historians say so. There are some things contained in the Bible that have never had any other source to this day. And maybe those things will never have any supporting source outside of the Bible. But does that mean they are not true? No. In the field of history, you have an easy way out if you are not sure. You just say that for this particular event or for this particular group of events, there is only one source. And you move on. Because the only way to falsify or confirm these kind of stories for historians is the discovery of sources that were previously unknown or undeciphered. Fields such as archaeology and the dating of manuscripts and other sources help in such endeavors. Historians have lost careers and have been humiliated for arguing against certain things, whether those things were from the Bible or any other writings. There have been things in the Bible that did not have any other source for centuries. And suddenly, someone finds a piece of rock somewhere in Jerusalem and all of that changes. Take the story of King David, for instance. King David slayed Goliath in the Bible. Historians for centuries were never sure that David existed. Many of them even stated that David was only ever an imaginary person, that he never actually existed. And then, very recently, some archaeologists found a stone slab that makes mention of the house of David. The slab was dated and it was found to be legit. Now, David is accepted as a person who actually existed. There are, however, other additional sources and authors that we have for that particular period. Authors and historians like Josephus, Tacitus, Pliny the Younger and Philo. These guys will help to guide us through this mini-series. Because of authors like these, 
The Bible is not the only source that tells us that Jesus Christ existed. For instance, we know that Jesus Christ is mentioned by Josephus and Tacitus. His notorious executioner, Pontius Pilate, is mentioned by Josephus and Philo, and so on and so forth. In cases where historians deem the Bible clear enough to be used, we will go with what the historians say and use the Bible. There are also people like the Apostle Paul. There are also many early Christian fathers, all of whom wrote very early in the existence of Christianity. Some of these early church fathers were from Africa, as you will learn in the upcoming episodes. These are people like Tertullian, Cyprian, and Augustine. You will even hear about the early church fathers who were arguing with each other about what nature and form Christianity should take. Staunch churchmen like Arius from Libya, who was born in 256 AD and had some heated arguments about Christianity with the other church fathers and even with the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great himself. Christians out there, please note that all we said above is that when the Bible is not clear enough for historical purposes, we did not say that when the Bible is not correct. The issue is about clarity. Our job here is not to falsify the Bible or any other religious source for that matter. As for the geographical area where this story took place, the area we will talk about as the birthplace of Judaism and Christianity is situated between the southeastern portion of the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. We will provide a map or maps to help show where this story actually occurs. It is an area that's about 100 miles by 150 miles. That's super small, folks. However, this very small area is probably the most notorious the world has ever seen. At various times and for various reasons, and even for various agendas, this area has been called by different names. Canaan, Judah, Judea, Israel, Palestine, the Holy Land, the Promised Land. These are some of the names that have been used for that area. Note that even using any one of these names can elicit anger from some group or another. For instance, some modern Jews hate the word Palestine because it implies that the Palestinians have a claim to that area too. Even more surprising to some people is that some Jews even argue that there is no such thing as a Palestinian. Many Arabs hate the names Israel, Judea and Judah because by implication those names exclude the fact that Palestinians also reside in that area. They hate promised land even more because this implies that God promised the land only to the Jews. So you see, dear listener, that is the kind of sensitivity we are dealing with here. Some of these sensitivities are not just religious, but they've moved from pure religious arguments into the political realm. If you think this area, who many people these days just call the Middle East, is just crazy right now, you don't know of its ancient and classical history. Take the events of the year 66 AD, for instance. What happened in 66 AD and why is 66 AD important? Well, it's important because the compilers, the authors and editors of the Second Testament of the Bible would have to watch how they wrote about certain things because of what happened in 66 AD. Let historian Simon Seabag Montefiore explain what happened during a very short period in 66 AD. Note that we've made some minor adjustments to this lengthy quote in order that you can understand it better, but we haven't changed its intended meaning. Open quote. The gates of Jerusalem remained open to Jewish pilgrims 
for religious fanatics, battle-hardened cutthroats and thousands of refugees poured into the city, where rebels expended their energies in gang warfare and vicious witch hunts for traitors. Young and brash brigands now challenged the rule of the priests. They seized the temple, overthrowing the high priest himself, electing Ananus to replace him. Ananus rallied the Jerusalemites and attacked the temple. John of Gishala and his Galilean fighters saw an opportunity to win the entire city. John invited the Edomians, aka the Arabs, from south of Jerusalem. The Edomians rampaged through the streets, killing 12,000 people. They murdered Ananus and his priests, tossed them over the walls to be eaten by dogs. Close quote. The quote continues, now into this mess the Romans are on their way. Open quote. John's supporters soon lost faith in him. They defected to another young Jewish warlord named Simon ben Giora. Simon was a greater terror to the people than the Romans themselves. Now, there are two competing warlords in Jerusalem, John and Simon. And now, another Jewish group called the Zealots rebelled against John. Roman historian Tacitus says now there were three Jewish generals in Jerusalem, meaning there were now three Jewish armies fighting each other for the city. The Romans continued to get closer. They then retook Jericho from the rebellious Jews. Only now does the chaos inside Jerusalem stop. The three armies band together and try to make the city defensible against the approaching Romans. Close quote. This quote covers events that occurred at the time of the beginning of the Jewish-Roman War of 66 AD to 70 AD. We can also quote events from 801 BC, from 732 BC, from 727 BC, and so on and so forth. All events that make the quote above seem like child's play. But let us analyze this long quote, in case you might not understand what is going on there. There are some things you know from this quote. Things like Jerusalem, things like the Jews, things like the Arabs, things like the Romans. You also might have heard the Temple of Jerusalem. The Temple was a very big deal to the Jews. In both the First Testament and the Second Testament of the Bible, you get to understand that you cannot mess with the Temple. Yet, in this quote, Jews are killing Temple priests. Jewish street mobs are deposing and appointing the high priest willy-nilly. The appointment of the high priest of the temple was a serious affair, not something that street mobs could do. So, this should tell you that not all Jewish people felt the same way about the state of their religion at that time. In the upcoming episodes, you will get to hear that there were many competing sects and counter-sects of Judaism. You will get to understand why that was so. You will also learn that even Christianity itself was at its inception just yet another sect of Judaism amongst very many. Jerusalem is the holiest city in Judaism and Christianity. It's also the third holiest city in Islam. Like with most of the story to do with the creation of Judaism, there are some key themes that seem to be always present. We chose the long quote above because it contains those themes. So what themes are those? There is always some very serious internal Jewish bickering. There is always a very powerful external enemy who is threatening the Jews with extinction and threatening to take the land on which the Jews reside. There are always outsiders. And not all these outsiders are hated by all the Jews. 
Some of the outsiders are brought in by some of the Jews themselves. In this quote, as you can see, the Idumeans were invited into that already existing murderous chaos by one of the warring Jewish factions. The issue of the temple, the temple priests and so forth, is always a present theme. And the temple for the Jews represents the abode of God. Another theme that is sometimes missed when people think of Jewish history is the fact that the early Jews were some of the most tenacious fighters of the ancient world. They were always ready to fight to defend their homes and their religion. Spoiler alert. This explains why most Jews could not understand the idea of a Messiah that would make statements like give unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar or you must turn the other cheek. Do not forget these key points because you will see them again and again in this story. And after you've seen them plenty enough, you will understand why Judaism is the way it is. You'll understand why, for instance, there was a loud call from the Jews for the Messiah. And you will also understand why the Jews, when Jesus Christ finally came, did not think he was the Messiah. You will understand why the early Christians who came from Judaism had to distance themselves from Judaism. One can argue that the tenets of Judaism are God, land and people. Judaism thus comes from the interaction of the politics of the land with the worship of God and lastly also the interaction of those two concepts with the covenant between the Jewish people and God. All of this unfolds in the upcoming episodes of this mini-series. We will have to stop here for today.